welcome back to you know what i've been wondering i'm sarah i'm jane how are you doing we're, um, just, we're just gonna jump right into I'm it i'm doing terribly um oh no <laughs> no i'm i'm doing okay i just just i literally just finished my research because you know i'm a procrastinator uh-huh. and i'm just really my topic made me very angry okay <laughs> oh you know what i just remember what i asked you about <laughs> Not even, I just like, it wasn't even looking at your notes. I just like, it just okay. launched back into my brain. Jane's been doing her research all day. <laughs> Not all day, the past like two hours. The past two hours, whatever. <laughs> but every time we mentioned recording, I'm like, yeah, I don't even remember when I asked you. And she was like, all right, well, then I won't tell you. But it, I just remembered. I'm excited. Okay. I'm excited. I'm I'm interested. Uh, interesting. I wouldn't think this would make you angry. So I'm fascinated to know mm-hmm. what happened that made you angry. Mm-hmm. You'll see. Cool. How are you besides that? <laughs> Um, I'm okay. We have a long weekend. I we don't do. really have any plans, so I've just been kind of chilling at home, putting off the things that I should be doing in my life. Cool. Uh, I love that energy. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm taking the GREs next weekend, so mm. I'm literally reteaching myself math. And there are parts of it that I'm like, I remember this. I remember yeah. this. And there are like, I just make stupid mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I used to be really good in math, but I haven't even touched geometry yet, which is my worst math oh, subject. I love geometry. I'm not a geometry person. I much prefer algebra. Because geometry, I just can't. I love wrap, algebra, too. Like I, I can't wrap my head around I the love shapes. all the, like, early high school math. Yeah. Like, I'd say, like, algebra 2 and pre-calc were, like, yes. my prime. Mm-hmm. I took AP calc, and it was a little, it was a little too hard for me. <laughs> Yeah, me too. But before that, it was, you know, in my prime. I loved it because I love it. Whenever I'm like in the in the moment of solving a problem, yeah. so exciting. You're like, yeah, I'm oh. going to factor that. I'm going to cross multiply. Like, it feels really good. It feels so cool. Like, yeah. you feel like you're like a mathematician, like up on, like in a movie. Like, yeah. Solving a puzzle, writing out a crazy long thing. And you're like, it's so amazing that my brain knows how to do this weird code thing. Like, yeah. I do think it's really interesting how our brains hold math and like that we figured all this out, you know. Yeah. The way great. stuff equals each other. I love problems that it's like. They give you like a minus b equals six, and then when you factor something, you find a minus b in there, so then mm-hmm. you can substitute the set, like stuff like that, Oops. stuff like that. I really mm-hmm. enjoy, but the GRE is a little bit. It's it's hard because it's just a lot of world word problems. So the math itself isn't actually that difficult. It's just figuring out what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. It's much more based off of like reading comprehension than actually knowing and understanding mathematic equations. I'm with you. So I'm just like anxious trying to study and get ready for all of that because you're gonna be amazing i want to do well i want to do really well so that's been my stressor this week is preparing for preparing for the gres but we're here the grizz you know (laughs) the grease um but you know we have we're here we have some some wine and i'm ready to hear about your topic my topic's pretty long i don't know mine is too all right so then should we just get right into it sure we had a really short episode last week yeah we did so we're taking back some of your time (laughs) you owe us you owe you owe me 15 (laughs) minutes so here we go okay well um (laughs) i'm gonna start with a little recap um, why don't you say what i asked you about okay you asked me about the november 15th protests Right. Of the Vietnam War that right. happened in 1969. Right. Which is in, that'll be next Friday. Or Friday, the Friday after this comes out will be the anniversary, the 50 year anniversary of that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't believe you. I was like, <laughs> I feel like it's 
sooner than that, Sarah. I don't know. Jane never believes me. (laughs) Jane's constantly like, okay, Sarah. (laughs) It's like 80% of the time I'm correct. (laughs) Okay, so I talked about the Vietnam War. On a previous episode of our podcast. We did. Um, it was episode, like, eight? It was... I don't know exactly what it was, but it was called The Vietnam War and the Moon Landing, colon, the not-so-stellar not so stellar 1960s. So go give that a listen if you want more context on the Vietnam War. Yeah. To give a brief recap of pertinent information no, previously on. You know what I've been wondering. Um, <laughs> I put in an old sound clip. <laughs> So in 1967, two years before, um, the number of American troops in Vietnam had reached, was approaching 500,000, and U.S. casualties um, had reached 15,000, and there had been another 109,000 wounded, and public opinion of the war was, like, rapidly decreasing, like we talked about last time, PTSD, drug use, a a lot of problems with the soldiers who were fighting there were arising, Uh which further contributed to the distaste of the public of the war. There was a large anti-war movement that was, you know, building. building. Mm -hmm. In 1967, Hanoi's communist leadership was growing impatient, and they launched the Tet Offensive, which was essentially a series of attacks on over a hundred towns and villages in South Vietnam. And uh, they lost this offensive. No, they they were successful, but not for a long time. Like they oh, okay. they took over all of those cities and towns and then it took like a day or two for South Vietnam and America to get those back. Okay. But people were really taken aback by this event because the government had been so strongly saying that we were winning this war. Right. And that, okay, I yeah, remember this. Yeah. So people were really confused, like, well, if we have such an advantage over northern Vietnam, then why did we just lose over 100 towns and villages for a day? Like, why were they able to take them? Okay. Um, Yes, this is familiar. So, Lyndon B. Johnson, I'm trying to not knock over that one, um, (laughs) was up for re-election in 1968. Mm -hmm. Uh, He gave a speech indicating that his new goal was peace. And that in May, he would begin a series of peace talks in Paris. Mm, but this was a lie, right? He didn't do that. He did, but they were all unsuccessful. Okay. Um, and so, An attempt was made. <laughs> yeah. So Nixon was elected. Because, in 68. In 68, yes. He was inaugurated in 69. Okay. Half of Nixon's supporters were like, oh, this guy will be better at getting us out of the war. And the other half were like, no, he'll win the war. Okay. So that's why he was more easily electable than Johnson because people just had more uh, faith in him handling Vietnam better. Right. Which I feel like is easy to say when you're just looking at someone who's been trying to do that as opposed to someone who hasn't done it yet. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easier sometimes to imagine that a new person will be better. Also, I talked about this last time, but the My Lai Massacre occurred in 1968, which is an important thing to remember for later. And that is when soldiers, uh, U.S. soldiers, mercilessly slaughtered more than 400 unarmed civilians in the village of My Lai. And that was one of the biggest things that people were outraged by back home. Because remember, this was the first war that was televised. Yeah, rightly so. So going on to new information. (laughs) 
that I will be providing you with, which again, I got all the information from past me. So thanks, past me. Um, <laughs> Pouring out for past Jane. Yeah. During Nixon's first year in office, 10,000 Americans had been killed in Vietnam. Oh my God. Which brought the American death toll to 44,000. Jeez. Yeah. People were kind of slowly realizing that Nixon's policies were essentially the same, if not just as ineffective as Lyndon B. Johnson's. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. Jerome Grossman, who was a political activist and commentator mm-hmm. who played roles in campaigns and efforts to end both the Vietnam War and the Iraq War. Good for him. Uh, yeah, he was a significant anti-war spokesman mm-hmm. uh, for a while. And he called for this he called for a strike essentially yeah he called for this in april of 1969 okay and he said that we should have like a national strike if the Uh war had not concluded by october okay and so it gave him time yeah okay and this began this movement which is referred to as the moratorium to end the war in vietnam okay now a group of activists sort of took this idea of his i I think they gave it the name the Mm -hmm. moratorium and the war um in vietnam uh they were david hawk and sam brown who were who had previously worked on the eugene mccarthy campaign in 1968 he Mm -hmm. ran against nixon and lost Uh but they formed this committee with david mixner marge sklenker John Gage and other people, um, <laughs> and some others, and various others. Um, he, the, the committee was called <laughs> Vietnam Moratorium Committee. Something along. Those lines. Oh my god, Jane! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's right here. Um, the Vietnam Moratorium Committee. That's what I said. <laughs> Did you read it? Yes. <laughs> I'm a really good note taker, you guys. I'm really good at reading my own notes. The committee liked Jerome Grossman's idea, uh-huh. but they were worried that the trend of the current anti-war activism was really skewing hard towards just like hippies on college campuses uh-huh. and that they had a very specific reputation that would be hard to mix with like older less liberal people like okay. they wanted to reach people who kind of were looking down on the hippies and okay include them in this movement okay that uh, makes sense yeah so get everyone involved yeah they wanted to align themselves with groups that were considered more quote-unquote respectable um like Ugh, the hippies were totally yeah. <laughs> respectable what do you mean <laughs> well they wanted to work with like the civil rights movement right. churches university faculties Unions, right. business leaders, and politicians. Okay. To bring in more of a well universally yeah. enjoyed um, yeah, yeah, yeah. experience. But they planned the first event, which was the first moratorium on October 15th, not November 15th. Okay. A month before. And they were planning this event with some of those groups right before the day of the protest that they were planning. Northern Vietnamese Prime Minister Pham Van Dong. Mm-hmm. He basically published a letter to the protesters, mm-hmm. um, thanking them almost for trying to save young American men from a useless death in Vietnam. Oh, which was people took as really condescending, mm, being yeah. like, "Oh, our enemy is 
thanking this group of people being like, oh, yeah, you shouldn't send those American soldiers here because we're just going to kill them. And, you right. know, good for you for right keeping them from coming here unnecessarily. Yeah, I can see why people wouldn't necessarily like that. Yeah, so <laughs> that made a lot of people angry, uh, particularly um, Nixon and his vice president, who... Tell me you've heard this name before, because I ha- have never heard of this man before, and now he's my least favorite person that exists. His name is Spiro Agnew. Never heard of that name. Is he like a Dick Cheney type? Yeah. Oh. I, I'm just so confused why I've never heard of this man, because he just sounds so awful. People don't care about the vice president. They don't pay attention to what they do. That's the dangerous yeah. part of the vice presidency. Mm. He gave a speech immediately after demanding that the organizers of the protest come out against this letter. And he called the organizers communist dupes. Uh, he was very anti-protesters. He was super against them and super rude and super dumb and I hate him. Anyway, <laughs> the October 15th demonstration happened mm-hmm. and it was considered a very large success. Millions of people across the globe participated in marches and protests boston actually had the highest turnout uh with a hundred thousand people oh good for them yeah senator george mcgovern gave a speech in boston denouncing the war and fun fact bill clinton Mm -hmm. was at the time a Rhodes scholar in oxford oh and he organized the protest in england oh that's so cool and participated it was kind of later came back to bite him because it was considered a scandal when he was running for president and he had to kind of, like, maneuver that, but he, like, was previously a hippie, but... <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> yeah, it's the one scandal of his that doesn't bother me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Truly. The October 15th protest happened on the same day as Game 4 of the World Series, oh. which was happening in New York City. Uh, it was the New York Mets versus the Baltimore Orioles. And New York City Mayor John Lindsay wanted the U.S. flag to fly at half-mast in honor of the protesters. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, but um, Bowie Kuhn, who was the baseball commissioner at the time, was anti-protest, and he refused to do that. So the flag <sighs> what a party was all the way for. up, and it, it basically caused a lot of like Problems, controversy yeah. and debate it made what could have just been a baseball game where like maybe there was a nice nod to what was going on in the country like right. more of a topic of debate right uh there were also some unknown people who printed some anti-moratorium day literature and they printed the face of tom siever who was a starter for the mets yeah and they distributed it amongst the people entering the stadium oh uh, and tom siever was very upset he claimed that he had no knowledge of that this would happen he did not approve but the mets won uh, <laughs> congratulations <laughs> um, to sam i don't really sam. <laughs> i don't really have any allegiance towards them but we live in new york so go mets uh <laughs> go mets i guess a quarter million people attended the march in dc that always sounds like way more than it is today, but that's still 250,000. They marched down Pennsylvania Avenue bearing candles led by Coretta Scott King. Oh, I love her. I know. And she said that she, that her late husband, Martin Luther King Jr., would have been delighted to see people of all races rallying together for the cause of peace. I love her. I know. She's the best. New York, Detroit, Boston, and Miami all had well-attended marches. The thing that was important about these marches is that overwhelmingly the public opinion of them and the media coverage showed that they were very very peaceful okay it was 
considered a very somber event. Um, mm-hmm. One person described it as a sober, almost melancholy manifestation of middle class concern. And that was intentional. The organizers of the event um, wanted it to be more like they were saddened and grieving right. the horrible that makes sense. things that were going on. That um, makes sense. I as feel, a, yeah. I feel like that's also more like tactful way of yeah. presenting it because what politician is going to be like, how dare they mourn like yeah. lost lives, you know? Yeah. And especially because in the previous year there had been a protest in Chicago um, at the Democratic Convention which mm-hmm. led to a lot of rioting and there had been kind of a, a reputation of the anti-war movement that it was a lot of like rioters and hippies who were violent right. and menaces to society so they wanted they intentionally wanted this to be like a calm sad event to like show that we could be peaceful and and respectful and respectful yeah mm-hmm. nixon made a statement that he would not be affected by the marches and Ugh. yeah Comedian Dick Gregory made a speech at one of the marches where he said, the president says nothing you kids will do will have any effect on him. Well, I suggest you make one long distance call to the LBJ ranch, which essentially means he thinks we have no power, but the previous president who wasn't doing anything to help us get out of Vietnam, we got rid of him. Right. So technically, we're the ones with the power. Like, right. We're the ones who are going to... You're could. an elected official. Yeah. yeah. Nixon, not directly responding to that, but he said later, under no circumstances will I be affected because, quote, pol- policy made in the streets equals anarchy. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I, I was, like, so fuming about this because it just, like, it, it just feels so relevant. It does. It absolutely does. This idea that even though... The, the idea that government, even though it is a representative government, is not actually representing yeah. the people. Yeah. It's um, representing the companies. <laughs> yeah. And business and the military. <laughs> Absolutely. The White House press secretary declared that Nixon was completely indifferent to the moratorium and that that whole day, October 15th, had just been business as usual. So Nixon did not care that this large, beautiful event had taken place. Right. Um, Although everyone else, like the rest of the country, considered the moratorium to be a huge success because over 15 million people in America participated and it was still super somber and dignified and they thought it brought a, like, a boost in the reputation of the anti-war movement. Uh Agnew, the vice president, um, was calling the peace movement controlled by hardcore dissidents and professional anarchists. And he called them masochists and accused them of planning violence at future events. So public approval of him and Nixon kind of went down because, like, well, we see all these people being peaceful and you calling them the opposite of that. Right. Um, Sounds just like our current president and vice president. (laughs) People really thought that before this movement, like, the whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll was what was going on amongst the anti-war protesters. But this movement Uh made people really think differently about that. Oh. Which was nice. That's nice. Um. But then, on no- on November 3rd, Nixon gave a speech calling for support of what he called the quote-unquote silent majority, which I talked a little bit about last time, mm-hmm. where he basically believed that, like, the people who were protesting were just, like, the a couple of people screaming at him, when really right. most of the country was being quiet and supported him. And supported him and the war. Yeah. He gave a speech saying that he had the same goal of as the protesters which was peace but he simply had to win the war and therefore he couldn't withdraw from vietnam right he's like my hands are tied i also want peace but i can't do anything i gotta win this war and around the same time uh vice president agnew made a speech 
see if this sounds familiar at all to anybody. He said that the media was biased against Nixon. And he said that the media was a small, unelected elite that do not, I repeat, do not represent the view of America. And so <laughs> that did successfully kind of turn people against the media. And they're like, well, maybe he's right. Like, the media is just showing a couple people. Major eye roll. And so for like a week or two, Nixon and Agnew, like their public approval went up again. And Nixon was quoted as saying to one of his aides in the Oval Office, we've got those liberal bastards on the run now. Do you think it's like in some conservative handbook somewhere? It's like when you don't know what to do, you blame the media. Yeah. Like the RNC is like, this is our official tactic. Yeah, probably. Um, but he said, we got those liberal bastards on the run now and we're going to keep them on the run. On the run from what? Like, I don't know. But, <laughs> I don't know wrote. But is a whole bullet point. Two pieces of information came out in early November of 1969 that really, like, swung things back away from approving of Nixon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, The first thing was that Colonel Robert Roltz of the U.S. Army Special Forces was charged with ordering the murder of a South Vietnamese official who was suspected of being a spy, which we don't really know if that's true, but it was written in the army report as a quote-unquote termination with extreme prejudice and people were basically mad that there wasn't like total proof or there wasn't really due process for this person that was being accused of being a spy they just murdered him right um without really telling anybody and then it got out and but then the second one which is almost more important is that journalist seymour hirsch revealed that lieutenant william Calley had ordered the my Lai massacre which had taken place the previous year which people knew that that massacre had happened and they were outraged, but they didn't really know who specifically was to ordered blame. it. Yeah. Um, and now they knew that it was for sure a thing that our government had done. So that brought new anger back to the surface. And then November 15th rolled around. It's referred to as the first nationwide moratorium, but it's technically the second mm-hmm. because the other one was a very popular event that took place around the world. Right. Um, but this one is the one that's kind of more remembered. And I think it's just because turnout was even higher. Right. Officially, it's considered that it happened on November 15th, 1969, which was a Saturday. But technically, it started on the Thursday right before. Okay. Um, but there was, there was a smaller protest known as March Against Death. Uh, which started on the Thursday night and then it lasted all night and all Friday. Oh, wow. And then the moratorium began on Saturday. So it was gotcha. like technically all one event. It was like three days. Yeah. yeah. And I think it lasted longer than just a day. I don't think it was just Saturday. The large march happened on Saturday, but the activities that began on Thursday, um, 40,000 people gathered and they paraded silently in single file down Pennsylvania Avenue to the White House for hours like again starting thursday night and then going until saturday yeah and every single person marching in single file was holding a placard with the name of either a dead american soldier who had died in vietnam Mm -hmm. or a destroyed vietnamese village oh it was really powerful and the march was very somber and quiet like the last one Mm -hmm. um except they had um six drummers who were playing funeral tunes and the march concluded in front of the Capitol building where the placards were all placed in coffins. Oh. So it's a very, like, moving image. Mm-hmm. Nixon apparently watched from his television to count how many people were there 
he would like stay up late in the night like during this whole event to yeah. like see how the crowds were doing and it reached 325,000 people in Washington DC wow. at one point like on the night he was staying up to watch it I think on Saturday learning about this just made me hate Nixon so much he joked that he should send helicopters to blow out the candles that the protesters were holding that's terrible I know it's like <sighs> the protesters were mostly peaceful However, on Friday night, there was a small conflict and the police tear gassed a lot of people. That's so sad. So that sort of, the whole thing was still very somber and beautiful, but I I think it made more of the, like, it it made it less quiet, if that makes any sense. I I still don't want to call it a riot. Right. But it it was just more, there was more like action, I guess. A lot of Washington, D.C. organizations helped out um washington dc schools seminaries and other public places opened their doors to be places of shelter for protesters um the smithsonian museum complex allowed protesters to sleep in their museums oh that's nice yeah it's considered the largest demonstration to ever take place in washington because there were four hundred thousand people oh no, no 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 um there were more than that that's this number is um 400,000 people is the number of people who attended Woodstock. Oh, wow. And people who have looked into the numbers of how many people attended Woodstock said that this event was like two Woodstocks. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there were a crazy number of people there, and they were like sleeping in buildings around, like... Yeah. And this is... My favorite part of it is that over half a million protesters gathered across from the White House, and... Um, singer Pete Seeger <laughs> led them all in singing um, Give Peace a Chance by John Lennon, which Aww. had just come out. Um, and they sang it for over 10 minutes while Pete Seeger like, yelled, presumably into a microphone or a megaphone or something, because apparently he could be heard over everyone. Um, in between every chorus, he would yell, are you listening, Nixon? Are you listening, Agnew? Are you listening, Pentagon? Aww. Other celebrity attendees who all performed were Leonard Bernstein, Peter, Paul, and Mary, John Denver... Arlo Guthrie, and the Cleveland String Quartet. Aww. And you would love this. Four different touring companies performed songs for the musical hair. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Nixon said, Now I understand that there has been and continues to be opposition to the war in Vietnam on the campuses and also in the nation. I'm like, no dip. Like, now you realize? Anyway. He continued to say, as far as this kind of activity is concerned, we expect it. However, under no circumstances will I be affected whatsoever by it. I don't understand what we have, like, what they would have to do. Right. Like, it's just so dumb. Just be conservative. I don't know. Like, yeah. it's, I feel like just, like, conservatives just shut down to everything liberals say. And I think liberals are guilty of that, too. You know, we're such a partisan country <sighs> yeah. that we just shut down and we hate everything the other party has to say just because of who their party is. Yeah. You know. But that's just, I kind of wish I, like, everyone talks about, like, what time do you wish you would be? And I feel like so many people are like, nah, I wish I had been a hippie in the 60s. And I always, like, tend to be like, that wouldn't really be that fun, though, because you'd be living through the Vietnam War and racism. And hippies were and persecuted the, yeah, in a lot like, of ways. Like, it doesn't sound like a time that would really be that fun to live through, but I would love to witness this event. Yes, I think it sounds beautiful, even though it it's was one of those moments that, things. like, you wish you had you wish you had been there. You know, I had a history teacher in middle school who attended the "I Have a Dream" speech as like a very young child. Her parents took her, and she was like, yeah, I was there. I was eight years old. 
And it's like amazing. It's amazing. Like I think there are moments in history that you wish that you could witness and you wish you could be part of. Like I'm sure there are people who are going to be very, very proud that they attended the first women's march. You know, in oh, like yeah. years in the future. Like that's something we can say we were there. Yeah. I have friends who went to Obama's second inauguration. Mm-hmm. The first one we were still like 13. But my high school arranged a trip for the second one, and like a bunch of people mm-hmm. went to that, and they said that was really amazing. I was homesick. I think the day of his first of Obama's first inauguration. So my mom and I watched it I watched it, it on television later, but I was yeah. I think my school... Or I think my school maybe streamed it. Yeah, my school, like, put it on the projector in our gym. Yeah. And my had, like, school streamed William and Kate's wedding. Why? It was, like, on in the hallways. Because <laughs> it was the first royal wedding since we had been, like, children. That's so funny, because at my school, I was so excited about that, and I really wanted to watch it, but no one in my school cared. And then they... St- I remember and... walking through the hallways, and, like, we would stop and check the television, and I remember I was in the hallway when they exited the church, so we all, like, stopped and watched it. it was really I live-streamed it on my laptop, because in my high school, everyone got, like, a school laptop. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a free period, like, right at the right time. So it's I sat hilarious. in the library and watched it. And I remember talking to my English teacher about it, and I loved my English teacher. I love you, Miss Miller. Um, <laughs> if you're listening. But she she's such a strong feminist, and I, I think now more so I understand her point of view, but she was, like, kind of, not against it, but she was, like, yeah, I don't understand why the pageantry of that is necessary. Mm-hmm. Almost, I was really obsessed with Princess Diana for a while, so I, I was like, her. I was really into it because I was like, "That's Princess Diana's son!" Like, yeah, <laughs> this is the first big royal wedding. Exactly. Like that's that's what made me really excited. I do think it's a little wasteful sometimes. All of the like huge, crazy pageantry that we put on them. Yeah, but I kind of get it, you know. I yeah. think it's kind of But fun. I think as people, I think they're really good people. Like, mm-hmm. I, like the amount of philanthropy that they do, yeah. I think is really impressive. I think the big difference for me is that American celebrities, like, so much of their fame comes from, like, scandal. Eh. And But, like, the British, British famous people are so much more about respectability. Yeah. That's why I love so many British actors and, like, British famous people because I think their perspective on being famous is just very different. Yeah. I have two more bullet points. Okay, great. Back to Vietnam. Um, or back to, back to 1969. Well, back to two different places. Back to San Francisco and then Australia. <laughs> San Francisco also on November 15th had a pretty huge turnout of protesters. A quarter million. Which is not as many as in D.C. But I think was like the second highest probably. Right. That group was very largely younger students. Yeah. Um, which makes sense. But what was interesting to me about that was that the schools at the time did not give them permission to miss school to go to the protests uh, so 50 percent of students in san francisco on november 15th just ditched so they could go to the protest i love that which like what are you gonna do like that's amazing expel 50 percent of your students yeah like, that's amazing though i know i i was like good for you guys like stick it to them just do it um and lastly there was a third official moratorium that took place some schools um, particularly ones in San Francisco, continued to do what they called moratoria on the 15th of every month for yeah. a while after mm-hmm. that. But there was one more official one that took place in Melbourne, Australia. They also had a pretty significant anti-war movement because they were also in Vietnam. Right. Um, although they were much quicker to get out of Vietnam. Yeah. Because they listened to the people. But they had one. They originally wanted to do it in April of 1970, but later it was moved to... May and then it ended up taking place on May 8th, 9th, and 10th, which ended up working out because it coincided with protests that took place in the U.S. Because as we know, there were four students killed at Kent State, 
Oh, um, in yes. May of 1970, and so there was more protests. That was in 1970. Yeah. yeah, so there were more protests in the United States and Australia sort of joined them in having their own moratory on the same day. Right. And shortly after that, Australia got out of Vietnam, so. Wow. Sometimes I just look at other countries and I'm like, see? Well, that's like how <laughs> New Zealand, right after their shooting this past year, like immediately passed legislation to ban assault rifles yeah. and like really get stricter on gun control yeah. immediately. Australia did a very similar thing. Yeah. Um, what's his name? What's that Australian comedian who now has his own show? He has this one really good stand-up special, which is on YouTube, uh, which is basically about gun control, and he talks about how mm-hmm. there was um, a shooting in, like, the 80s in Australia. Oh, yeah. And it was considered, like... It's one of the deadliest shootings of all time. Yeah. But after that, Australia, like, very quickly banned... Jim Jeffries. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very quickly banned... I didn't realize he was Guns or, or uh, cracked down on gun control. Yeah. And they haven't had a single case of, they haven't had a single shooting since then. It's like, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous in a country that was founded on this idea of representative democracy, how unrepresentative mm-hmm. our government is. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm up right <laughs> I was about to put my laptop away. But you are. You are. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that information. Yeah. Why don't you just close that whole window? <laughs> no, I need it. Um, oh my God. <laughs> Same stuff open as you always had. Ah. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> this first one doesn't really answer any questions, but I just thought it was a really funny thread. Okay. So uh, the question posed is um, by you slash ask me for poems is, does becoming older increase your sneeze loudness? <laughs> <laughs> my grandma does sneeze really loudly. My dad sneezes so loud, and my older brothers do too, but not as loud as him. Um, it says, genuinely asking. It seems like this rule applies no matter what. I'm 24 and I sneeze without harming, whereas my brother is 38 and destroys a whole city. <laughs> then my dad literally sounds like World War III. I've noticed this trend in every other family. Someone replied, wait, you can control how quiet your sneeze is? Someone said, from my experience, most loud sneezes are due to vocalizing it, as in shouting right beforehand, not the actual sneeze part. So yeah, you can control how loudly you shout. <laughs> replied for me it is the sneezing part you just hear a faint breath and then you hear an explosion (laughs) and then yours probably isn't particularly loud i wouldn't sweat it it hurts if i don't make the initial gasping sound (laughs) what someone replied i'm a 17 year old and sneeze like a suburban barbecue dad after an entire childhood of sneezing like a baby bunny the power of the dad's knees can be harnessed (laughs) and we salute you (laughs) I salute you, my friend. I feel like I've never thought about how loud my sneeze is. Sometimes oh, I feel like I'm they're really loud. I'm such a loud sneezer, but it's not because I shout. It's just because like I feel like I go like really loud. Oh, maybe that it's my teeth. It's because I close my teeth instead of like my mouth or something. Yeah, I haven't got done like a natural sneeze. No, I feel like I do a very loud. That's true. Like, but I know some people who are like, and that's their sneeze. And then yeah. my dad will be like, ah. I'm like screaming, <laughs> and I'm like, what is the point of that? <laughs> the dramatic entrance. Your dad is very quiet and very introverted, except when he sneezes. It's <laughs> gonna clear a room. And then the second question is, what is an itch? Oh, meta. Why is it meta? Well, it's just like, I don't know. It's very philosophical, you know. What is an itch? <laughs> 
Um, essentially, um, an itch is like a very small pain sensation that your now I feel itchy <laughs> cells do when they sense that something is like in them that shouldn't be. So, like, when you get a mosquito bite, you have, like, a little bit of mosquito venom. <laughs> I was going to say mosquito juice. Venom is the correct ew, word. Ew. Um, Like, in your skin, and your cells are like, get this out, get this out, get this out. So, oh, they get itchy. Interesting. And it's mostly because um, when we scratch, mm-hmm. this is going to sound super gross, and it's going to make me not want to scratch at all on your bed, but when we scratch, we shed, it make like, we, yeah, we, we do shed that to, to shed skin. skin cells. Yeah. And mostly itching is like there's cells in me that I want to get rid of. Scratch me so I'll get rid of those cells. Interesting. So that's what itching is. That makes sense. Yeah. That's why tattoos are probably itchy because it's like it's <gasps> in there. That's right. Yeah. My tattoo was itchy for a couple of days, but not long. Yeah. Mine was pretty itchy. Oh, I just realized I've said on the podcast that I've done. My dad knows. My extended family doesn't listen to this. <laughs> Fine. Jane has a tattoo, everybody. Oh my word. I'm alert, a scandal. The, alert the police. My parents are not pleased. But it's small and hideable. Right. <laughs> I support you and your tattoo. And my body. It's beautiful. I love your tattoo. And I supported you in this decision fully. I was there. All right. And now I'm going to close my Reddit tab. Oh, good. Good, good, good. See, just close stuff when you're done with it. Because I promise you, if you're if you're like I'm done with this right now, but I might need this later. You're just going to look it up again. You're not going to find that task. Okay, are you ready for me to do my thing now? Your thing? Oh, you do things on this podcast too? Yeah, besides edit it and do all my social media, (laughs) I also have a segment. Oh, Sarah contributes as well. Are you joking? Yes! (laughs) Being extremely sarcastic. I know. You put in so much work and it's not unrecognized. Thank you. Remember, remember the 5th of November. I will after you tell me what that is. <laughs> I know sure it's Guy Fawkes Day and I know something happened. but I don't Some know stuff what. happened. Absolutely. That's a good way to describe it. Some stuff happened. <laughs> I thought that was just a thing from um, V for Vendetta. It's not. It's a nursery rhyme. Aww. So this goes way back. Who's um, that guy named Fox? Who's that guy Fox? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Who's that guy, Fox? Um, so the gunpowder plot was, which is also known as the gunpowder treason plot or the Jesu- the Jesuit treason. I've had too much wine to go through all these technical terms. Um, <laughs> occurred on November fifth, sixteen oh five, five hundred and fourteen years ago, um, last Tuesday. <laughs> it was a failed assassination attempt against um, on King James the first and Parliament. James um, the first, like Mary Queen of Scots, son. Yes, that James the first. Love that. Well, <laughs> I was gonna say love him, but maybe I more so love that I know that. Yes, I'm applauding my own knowledge. <laughs> yes, yes, I love that I know that. <laughs> um, in order to understand why these men attempted this, you have to understand the background of Catholicism in England at the time. Great. So Queen Elizabeth I had introduced the Elizabethan religious settlement, which required all clergy and government employees to recognize her as the head of the church, the Church of England, which her father, Henry VIII, had established. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this caused issues for Catholics who saw the Pope as the head of the church. Jesuit priests were no longer allowed in the country of England, um, and their presence was punishable by death following the, pass- the passing of these settlements. Mm-hmm. And as we know, there's a long history of tension between the Catholics and the Protestants in England. 
Yeah. Elizabeth I was succeeded by James VI of Scotland, Mary Queen of Scots' son, who became King James I of England. Um, He was actually welcomed by papists because his mother, Mary Queen of Scots, was a very devout Catholic. So they were like, okay, like, could be worse, you know? (laughs) Um, At the time of his succession... I feel like that's what we'll say if, like, one of the Democrats we don't like as much is elected president next year. Like, all right, could be worse. Could be worse, could be worse. Yeah, pretty much. At the time of his succession, England had been at war with Spain for many years. Elizabeth I had started this war. But James ordered a ceasefire in the conflict with Spain, and this pleased the Catholics that Spain was a very Catholic country. And they were like, okay, great. Spain is going to help the Catholics in England out of persecution. James's attitude towards Catholics was more moderate than Elizabeth's. Um, part of Elizabeth's anger towards Catholics also came because her sister, Bloody Mary, was, like, super Catholic and was like, I'm going to kill all the Protestants because of what happened with Catherine of Aragorn. And if you don't know, then go watch the Tudors because <laughs> like, I'm not going to go into all of this. It's honestly a great show, you guys. It's a great show. But Elizabeth's sister, or half-sister, Bloody, Bloody Mary yeah. was Queen of England for a short period of time, and she tried to kill a bunch of Protestants, so now Catholics can die. So there's a long, <laughs> long... Why can't we just do neither? Why can't we just both because live? Because it's 1605. <laughs> Let a Catholic or a Protestant live. Because freedom of religion was not a thing yet. Oh it was God. only 1605. Yes, James's attitude was more moderate. Um, he said he would, quote, not persecute any that will be quiet and give an outward obedience to the law, and preferred to exile Catholics rather than execute them Mm -hmm. so he was like as long as you don't go around saying that you're a papist like (laughs) you could stay here and then if they did don't ask don't tell sort of kinda but if he found out he would either priests were still killed were still executed if they were found Mm -hmm. but he wasn't the one that was actively seeking them it was more like goonies of his that were super protestant were doing it (laughs) um goonies yeah then any other papists or catholic Catholic citizens would be exiled. Mm-hmm. Um, some Catholics believe that the martyrdom of James's mother would encourage James to convert to the Catholic faith because Mary Queen of Scots was seen as a martyr to the Catholics. Yeah. Um, before the gunpowder plot, there had been other attempts to change James's view on the Catholics because even though he wasn't making things specifically worse, they were still very persecuted and had to live secretive lives. Mm-hmm. Priests William Watson and William Clark attempted to kidnap James I and hold him in the Tower of London until he agreed to be more tolerant, but this plan was thwarted. And then Lord Cobham, Lord Grey de Wilton, Griffin Markham, and Walter Raleigh hatched what became known as the main plot, which involved removing James and his family and supplanting them with Arabella Stewart, who was a cousin of Elizabeth I that was considered to be sympathetic to Catholics. Mm. She never admitted it, but many thought that she was um and she following the reveal of this plot which never came to fruition she said she didn't know anything about it and didn't have anything to do with it <laughs> when elizabeth the first was dying there was also a push from the catholics for her to be named queen even though elizabeth's um like advisors and elizabeth's council were arranging meetings with scotland secretively with the plan for james to take over but she never mm-hmm. in her life admitted who her successor would be it was only after she died that it was revealed that it would be james the first mm-hmm. so sub catholics had been hopeful that it would be arabella I see, I see. You see, you see. 
<laughs> on February 19th, 1604, shortly after he discovered that his wife, Queen Anne, had been sent a rosary from the Pope, James denounced the Catholic Church officially for the first time in his reign. Three days later, he ordered all Jesuits and all other Catholic priests to leave the country and reimpose the collection of fines for recusancy. Recusancy um, was the refusal to attend Anglican services. So you and I watched the first episode of Gunpowder together, which mm-hmm. is a miniseries on HBO that's about this plot. And the first episode focuses specifically on Robert Catesby and what led him to lead the Gunpowder Rebellion, which I will talk about. Mm-hmm. in a little bit but one of the scenes in that is that he goes he's called into court and they fine him for not attending services and that was recusancy um th- uh, on march 19th the king gave his opening speech to his first english parliament in which he spoke of his desire to secure peace with spain but only by quote profession of the true religion which in his mind was the anglican church mm-hmm on the 24th of April, a bill was introduced in Parliament which threatened to outlaw all English followers of the Catholic Church, so their existence would be against the law. The gunpowder plot was first thought of by Robert Catesby. Catesby had previously participated in an unsuccessful rebellion against Queen Elizabeth. Um, he escaped with his life. This was called the Essex Rebellion. He escaped mm. with his life, but was charged 4,000 marks, which in 2008's coin was 6 million pounds for like making an attempt on the queen's life um and in order to pay this he was forced to sell his estate and like kind of give up his titles so he already like hated the monarch yeah catesby tried to appeal to the new king of spain philip iii um to launch an invasion of england to overthrow king james i but the spanish king refused because he wanted to make peace with england not incite further violence and risk more spanish lives Hearing of this, Pope Clement VIII warned against using violence to achieve a restoration of Catholic power in England. He was like, don't resort to violence because that will only paint us as villains. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. That makes sense. In February of 1604, right around the time that King James I made his first speech to Parliament, Catesby and his friend Thomas Winter discussed Catesby's plan to reestablish Catholicism in England by blowing up the House of Lords during the state opening of Parliament when King James I would also be there. Oh. Yes. Boom, boom. Despite his reservations over the possible repercussions should the attempt fail, Winter agreed to join the conspiracy, perhaps persuaded by Catesby's rhetoric, let us give the attempt and where it faileth pass no further. So he was like, we're going to we're gonna do it or die trying. Oh. Essentially was his, like, thing. He was like, we, we will not, our situation can't get any worse. So if we fail, we fail. But we can't say we didn't try. Yeah. Winter then traveled to Flanders, Brussels, where many Catholics had escaped to to seek Spanish support. Um, there, he met Guy Fox. Fox had also been a member of the 1603 delegation to the Spanish court pleading for the invasion of England that Catesby had been a part of, so he also was in favor of getting Spanish support. They were unable to secure any Spanish support in Flanders, so the two returned to England in April of 1604. At this point, the plot consisted of five conspirators, Robert Catesby, Guy Fox, Thomas Winter, Thomas Percy, and John Wright. On May 20th, 1604, the five met in London and swore an oath of secrecy on a prayer book, prayer book which an interesting anecdote about this is that there also happened to be in the next room a priest um, holding mass secretly. And so they ended up attending a mass that night and they took the Eucharist that night as well. So it was like considered a like we were meant to be here this is like yeah this is condoned by god type of thing 
Um, and then they left London and returned to their homes. On the 9th of June, 1604, Thomas Percy was impo- was appointed by the Earl of Northumberland to the Honorable Corps of Gentlemen-at-Arms. This gave Percy a reason to stay in London in a small property there. Guy Fox, posing as Percy's servant, took the pseudonym John Johnson and took charge of that <laughs> building. So they kind of supplanted him into this position so that he could stay close to Parliament. It's kind of a genius... Um, pseudonym because John Johnson. Everyone's gonna like kind of make like you like. I feel like that's not a name you would think to choose. Like, well, John Johnson. there was only like six names back then, and there are so many people named Johnson, and there are so many people named John. Like it was just a very untraceable name. Okay, I was thinking it was more so like everyone being like, "That name's John Johnson." No, no one that's just that us name. Now. It's obviously his real name, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just two very common names at the time. Mm-hmm. At night, the conspirators would row gunpowder from this building that Fox was watching to Catesby's lodging across the Thames. Oh. In, 16, in October of 1604, Robert Keyes joined the plot and was responsible for, Capes, for Catesby's home and the powder inside. Mm-hmm. On December 24th, 1604, Parliament announced that they would not sit again until October 3rd, 1605. Originally, the co-conspirators thought that they would sit in February of 1605, but it was pushed back due to concerns over the plague, which delayed their plot over eight months. Everything took so long back then. Yeah. Well, it's like, now our government would never be like... <laughs> I mean, everything <laughs> still feels like it takes too long, if I'm being honest. But. Right. But it was like, okay, a lot of people are getting sick. We're concerned we will also get the plague. Yeah. So we will delay my, we will delay our, our reconvening by many, many months. Later, both Thomas Winter and Guy Fox confessed to digging a tunnel under Parliament during this Parliament recess. Um, although no evidence of such a tunnel exists and has never been found, even though multiple <laughs> people confessed to it, which is spooky. Where's the tunnel? Probably they didn't build it. They were just trying to lead them down a false path mm. to delay their trial. Mm. I feel like we're going to find it one day and be like, <gasps> maybe, maybe. By the time the um, plotters reconvened, three more had joined their ranks. Robert Winter, Thomas Winter's half-brother, Christopher Wright, John Wright's brother, and John Grant. On March 25th, 1905, the conspirators purchased a lease on an undercroft in the palaces of Westminster. An undercroft is just like a basement, pretty much. Um, mm. And so they bought one that was directly underneath Westminster and Parliament, using false names, with the approval of the Earl of Northumberland, who was their friend, but he did not know of their plot. Around this time, Catesby began meeting with Father Henry Garnet, um, who was living secretly in England. Garnet was aware of Catesby's plan because it had accidentally been revealed to him through confession of one of Catesby's friends. And even though he could not outright say that he knew because of canon law, he did show him a letter from the Pope forbidding rebellion, and he tried very hard to dissuade Catesby from a violent course. Mm. But this was important, that he did know for a fact that it was going to happen. According to Guy Fox. They stored 20 barrels of gunpowder in the undercroft beneath the House of Lords and then added 16 more to total to 13, 36 barrels of gunpowder underneath the House of Parliament. Mm. On July 28th, the plague once again delayed the opening of Parliament until November 5th, which was on a Tuesday that year, just like this year. Okay. So all the days worked out the same. Details of the plot were finalized in October. The plan was that Fox would light the fuse and escape across the Thames, while a simultaneous revol- revolt in the Midlands would ensure the capture of James's daughter, Elizabeth. Um, because the plan was Girls that they would- also had three names back then. They were either Elizabeth, 
Jane, Mary. Mary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a few names. I think his other daughter was Mary. <laughs> um, so they would kill the king and then kidnap his heir, essentially. Yeah. At this point, several conspirators felt concern over the safety of fellow Catholics who would be present in Parliament during the explosion. So there is this lord, Lord Monteagle, who was a Catholic, <laughs> and he, his brother-in-law, Tresham, had joined the conspiracy. And he received a mysterious letter um, from his brother-in-law, although it took a while for the brother-in-law to admit that he sent it, on Saturday, October 26th. And this is the decision that completely changed the course of the plot. The letter read, For though there will be no appearance of any stir, yet I say they shall receive a terrible blow this parliament, and yet they shall not see who hurts them. Lord Monteagle, and he, his brother-in-law had sent this because he knew Lord Monteagle would have been he was a Catholic, but he was a secret Catholic, and he was in the House of Lords. So he was saying, don't go to Parliament that day. And I Lord Monteagle, see. not understanding the direct meaning of this, brought the letter to several other lords, but they decided to keep news of the plot from the king, who was out of the country until his return. Sneaky, sneaky. Right, but this was kind <laughs> of a fatal mistake, because on November 1st, the king was shown the letter and immediately thought that the word blow hinted at an explosion at the House of Parliament. So not sneaky enough. No, not sneaky. Catesby and Winter suspected Tresham had sent the letter, but he managed to convince them otherwise um, because they heard that the letter had been sent from friends of theirs that were in London. But he was like, no, I didn't send it. And they were like, okay, if, it not, if a co-conspirator didn't send it, then they probably won't figure it out. So, on Sunday, November 3rd, the co-conspirators met for the last time. On November 4th, conspirator Digby joined a hunting party with the intention of kidnapping Elizabeth, who was also a part of that party. Mm -hmm. Thomas Percy visited his friend, the Earl of Northumberland, and discerned that the House of Lords knew nothing about the plot. He was like, they don't know what it means. They don't know what the letter means. We're going to be fine. Catesby and the others set off for the Midlands, where they planned to start a revolt in the middle of the next day, at the same time the explosion would happen. Mm. So, but unbeknownst to them, the king ordered searching of the House of Parliament and its undercroft. The first search of the buildings in and around Parliament occurred on Monday, November 4th. They found a large pile of firewood. Guy Fox was there, disguised as a servant, and said that the wood belonged to his master, Thomas Percy. And so they were like, oh, okay, Thomas Percy, he's a notable man. He, they leave, and they report this to the king. And the king ordered a more thorough search after hearing Percy's name, because he's like, you have to go back. He's a Catholic. Yeah. Like, he's a known Catholic sympathizer. So they went back, and later that night, a search party found Fox dressed in a cloak and a hat carrying a lantern. Um, <laughs> he was arrested, and during which he gave his name as John Johnson. They found on him, at his, the time of his arrest, a pocket watch to time the explosion, slow matches, and torchwood. And at this time, underneath some debris that he had disguised it with, they found the 36 barrels of gunpowder, and the next morning, Fox was taken to the king. So they figured it out. News of John Johnson's arrest spread quickly. The plotters who were still in the city fled northwest and caught up to Catesby, and they decided to continue on. Catesby believed an armed struggle was still a real possibility, mm -hmm. and that's how they could get away with it. While under arrest, Fox refused to admit his real name and insisted that he had acted alone. On November 6th, the king approved of his torture, which was illegal except under specific approval by yeah. the king um and he was tortured in the tower of london <sighs> he was tortured for a day and on november 7th he confessed um and admitted his name and what their plot was 
Meanwhile, the other conspirators continued to head north for protection and to prepare for a fight. Catesby had written to Father Garnet asking for help in raising an army, but Garnet replied only begging Catesby to stand down. Several priests set out for Warwick Castle, where the conspirators had raided for protection but were caught and imprisoned. The conspirators continued to Holbeck House. They spread soaked gunpowder out to dry, but a spark, they had set some of the house on fire when they raided it, and so some of the gunpowder caught on fire and engulfed Catesby, among others, in flames. Thomas Winter thought this meant that Catesby was dead, so he turned around to go back to get some other people and say, like, we have to come up with a new plan, but when he returned to Holbeck House, he found Catesby had survived the blaze, surprisingly. On November 8th, the sheriff of Worcester and his, of Worcestershire, sorry, and his company of 200 men sieged Holbeck House. Catesby and Thomas Percy were killed with a single bullet, and the remaining conspirators were taken to the Tower of London to join Guy Fawkes. Oh, Worcestershire? Worcestershire. Because I know we pronounce Worcester like Worcester. So my, so my instinct is to be like Worcestershire, Worcestershire? but also I wouldn't be surprised if they were like Worcestershire, Worcestershire. Like, <laughs> yeah I think it's Worcestershire sorry, that, I, don't know I think it's Worcestershire I don't know I'm probably fine whatever. well also isn't that a Worcestershire sauce yeah yeah who knows um, the Earl of Northumberland was also arrested because he was their friend, um, and he joined them in the Tower of London on November 27th. Mm. Many Catholic priests were hidden in the estates of English Catholics. Father Henry Garnet was also located and arrested. Their surviving conspirators were arraigned at Westminster Hall. Um, they were all found guilty. Each of the condemned, this was their punishment, quote, would be drawn backwards to his death by a horse, his head near the ground. He was to be put to death halfway between heaven and earth as unworthy of both. Um, his genitals would be cut off and burnt before his eyes and his bowels and heart then removed then he would be decapitated and the dismembered parts of his body displayed so that they might become quote praise for the fowls of the air I hate medieval torture I hate torture in general thinking about it only Digby pleaded guilty and asked for death by the axe which he was denied Father Garnet was also charged with high treason after letting it slip that he knew of the plot. So, like, under torture, yeah. he broke canon law, um, and he was sentenced to death. Catesby and Percy's bodies were exhumed and decapitated, then put on spikes outside the House of Lords because they had avo- avoided this violent death. Um, but that was customary at the time, put the hats on the House of Lords. Uh-huh. On January 30th, Everard Digby, Robert Winter, John Grant, and Thomas Bates were tied to hurdle, tied to wooded panels, and dragged through the uh, dragged through the crowded streets of London. While fully conscious, they were castrated, disemboweled, and quartered. The next day, Thomas Winter, Ambrose Wookwood, Robert Keyes, and Guy Fox were hanged, drawn, and quartered opposite the House of Lords at Westminster, ironically, where they had been planning to blow, the mm-hmm. building they had been planning to blow up. Fox, however, managed to jump from the gallows and break his neck, which means he avoided the gruesome end of the execution, unlike the others. Oh. Yeah. In January 1606, during the first sitting of Parliament since the plot, the observance the observance of the 5th of November Act was passed, making services and sermons commemorating the event an annual feature of English life. Essentially, it was King James being like, we are going to survive, that we are going to celebrate the fact that we did not die and that we mm. thwarted the Catholics in this situation. Um, in Britain to this day, people let off fireworks to commemorate this plot, and it's called Guy Fawkes Night. Um, or they start bonfires, things like that. Yeah. This event is celebrated as a sort of Thanksgiving of the plot's failure. 
because many, many people would have died and a mm. great part of London would have been destroyed. That's fair. But also, like, they brutally murdered these men. Yeah, I understand. I <laughs> it's, understand. like, hard. And also, like, we're celebrating the fact that the Catholics were persecuted. It's, like, very, it's yeah. very iffy to me. I don't know. Um, I see, I see both sides. I'm going to end on a fun fact. Okay, great. That's actually fun. So traditionally, in the weeks running up to the 5th of November, children made what were called guys, which were effigies supposedly of Guy Fox, like these little dolls. And they were usually made from old clothes stuffed with newspaper and fitted with a grotesque mask. And that was meant to be burned on the 5th of November, which is like a little horrific that children mm-hmm. were like, let's make these little guy fox and we'll burn them. Yeah. Um, but these guys were sold in the streets to collect money for fireworks. Um, the, but that's where the word guy comes from. No. Like, like, a, like hey, guys. Yeah. Because in, in by the 19th century, it came to meet an oddly dressed person. And then the 20th and 21st century, it came to take any male Get person. Get out. And that's where guys comes from. Get out. Yeah, it's like we're selling guys. <laughs> that's funny. Isn't that a cool fun fact? I thought I would end on something a little more that's, lighthearted. That is lighthearted. A little more fun. Jeez Louise. Okay. So. <laughs> Jeez Louise is right. <laughs> so that's why we remember, remember the 5th of November. Yes. Now let's all go watch V for Vendetta. Okay. Does that take place during? No, V for Vendetta is about um, a vigilante named Guy Fox. Who uh. like, but he's like inspired by Guy Fox. Uh. Not only Portman's in it. It's good. It's really good. Um, but the miniseries on HBO called Gunpowder is directly about the gunpowder plot starring Kit Harrington. It's very good. I liked it very much. It focuses a lot more on like Anne Vaux was Katie's cousin and she was a notable Catholic woman at the time. And I liked the miniseries because it focused a lot on her, mm-hmm. which you don't necessarily see in the history books. Um, so that was cool. V for Vendetta is just a fun anarchist movie, <laughs> I would say, but very notable. And that is Guy Fox Day. Shall we launch into our next bit? Close it out? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the end. Like what next bit? Was I supposed to prepare something else? No, it's the end. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIVW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering com. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash YKWIBW podcast. We also would love a five-star review on iTunes. Helps us tremendously. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com and we would love to incorporate that onto our show. Jane. Mm-hmm. You know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? we're gonna it's been a while since we've done a conspiracy and you know you know that i love a conspiracy i know me too but it's been a minute and i think it's time that we return to our roots um (laughs) remember where we began remember where we can remember where we started remember the birds (laughs) truly so um jane i would like you to tell me about the flat earthers flat earthers yeah i think it's gonna be you know i'm just thinking about that like it's thanksgiving time (laughs) a lot of us are gonna go spend time with our maybe maybe odd families with our odd points of view okay okay and you never know who out there has a family member that's a flat earther and i just i would like to know more about them great so i want you to tell me about the okay sounds great i (laughs) (laughs) you look so shook i for some reason i thought we already talked about that but i think i'm thinking of the moon landing 
No, we've talked about the moon landing. We've not talked about flat earthers. But can't wait. Hoorah. Okay, okay. You know what? You know what? You know what? Hit me. I've just been wondering about this literally today, and I, I, I think it'd be a, an interesting topic that you might particularly enjoy. Oh, great. I want you to tell me about oil spills, I guess. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, specifically, we drove past a BP gas station earlier, and I was like, so has the public, like, forgiven BP? That's a good point. Yeah. Um, are we, like, cool with them being a company still? Um, okay. But also... Um, there's recently been an oil spill of the Keystone Pipeline. Oh, and yeah. And I would love for you to talk about the history of the Keystone an, Pipeline and right, what's going on there. Get an update on, on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes it's important to update Let ourselves. Let us know how the, the land is doing. Right. Yeah. Is our land safe? Yeah. All right. That seems fair. Yeah. Since you like talking about climate change. <laughs> well, I don't think I, I don't think it's necessarily that I like it. It's just that I've become, that's become my It's wheelhouse. important to you. Yeah. It is important to me. It is important to me. Yeah, absolutely. Great. I can do that. All right. Thank you so much for listening. This is, you know what I've been wondering. You have so many taps. This is the most stressful thing I've ever seen. How do you live your life like this? If I get more than three tabs open, I'm like, we have to start a new window. Or we gotta close something. Oh, that's on one window. You have like, that's gotta be 12. At least. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. No, Jean. No, 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 no,